classic horror stories. The Queen of Spades. At the house of Navalva, a cavalry officer, the long winter night had been passed in gambling. At five in the morning, breakfast was served to the weary players. The winners ate with relish. The losers, on the contrary, pushed back to their plates, sat brooding gloomily. Under the influence of the good wine, however, conversation then became general. Well, Serene, said the host inquiringly. Oh, I lost as usual. My luck was abominable. abominable. No matter how cool I kept, I never win. How is it, Herman? You never touch a card, remarked one of the men, addressing a young officer of the engineering corps. Here you are with the rest of us at five o'clock in the morning, and you have never played nor bet all night. Play interests me greatly, replied the person addressed, but I hardly care to sacrifice as necessaries of life for uncertain superficialities. Herman is a German, therefore economical. That explains it, said Roski. But a person I can't quite understand is my grandmother, a Countess Anne, Anna Ferondera. Why, inquired a chorus of voices. I can't understand why my grandmother never gambles. I don't see anything very striking the fact that a woman of 80 never refuses to gamble, objected Navova. Have you ever heard a story? No. Well then, listen to it. Again, with with 60 years ago, my grandmother went to Paris, where she was all the fashion. People crowded each other in the streets to get a chance to see the Moscovite Venus, as she was called. All the great ladies played for Argo. Then, on one occasion, while playing with the Duke of Orleans, she lost an enormous sum. She told her husband of the debt, but he refused outright to pay it. Nothing could induce him to change his mind on the subject. Grandmother was at her wit ends. Finally, she minded to remember a friend of hers, Count St. German. Maine, you must have heard of him, as many wonderful stories have been told about him. Said to have discovered the elixir of life, Lovasopher Stone, and many other equally marvellous things. He had money at his disposal, and my grandmother knew it. She sent him a note asking him to come to see her. He obeyed her summons and found her in great distress. She painted the cruelty of her husband in the darkened colours and ended by telling the Count that she depended upon his friendship and generosity. I could lend you the money, replied the Count, after a moment of thoughtfulness, but I know that you would not enjoy a moment's rest until you've returned it. It would only add to your embarrassment. There's another way of fearing yourself. But I have no money at all, insisted my grandmother. There's no need for money. Listen to me. The Count then told of a secret, a secret which any, any of us could give a great deal to know. The young gamblers were all attention. Chorsky lit his pipe, took a few whiffs, then continued. Next evening, Grandmother appeared at Red Size, a Queen's gambling table. The Duke of Orleans was a dealer. Grandmother made some excuse for not having brought any money and began to punt. She chose three cards in succession, again and again, winning every time, and soon out of debt. A fable, remarked Herman. Perhaps the cards were marked. I hardly think so, replied Toski, with air of importance. 
So you have a grandmother who knows the winning, three winning cards. You haven't found out the magic secret. I must say I have not. She has four sons, one of them being my father, all of whom are devoted to play. Devoted to play. He never told a secret to one of them. But my uncle told me this much on his word of honour. Tversky, who died in poverty after having squandered millions lost at one time, at play nearly 3,000 rubles. He was desperate and grandmother took pity on him. He told him three cards, making him swear never to use them again. He turned to the game, staked 50,000 rubles in each card, came out ahead after paying off, paying his debts. As the day was dawning, the party never now broke up, each one draining his grass and taking his leave. The Countess and Verona, who was seated before her mirror in the dressing room, her dressing room, three women were assisting her at toilet. The old Countess no longer made the slightest pretensions to her beauty, but she was still clung to all the habits of her youth and spent much time in her t- toilet as she had done six years before. At the window, a young girl, a ward, sat on her needlework. Good afternoon, grandmother, cried a young officer. I have just entered the room. I have come to ask you to favour you. What palaver, hello? I want you want to be allowed to present one of my friends to you, to take away take you to ball on Tuesday night. Take me to the ball and present him to be to me there. After a few more remarks, the officer walked up to the window where they rest here. Nerova sat. Whom do you wish to present? asked the girl. Nerova, do you know him? No, he's a soldier. Yes, he's an, an engineer. No, why do you ask? The girl smiled and made no reply. Pavel Togotsky took his leave and left to himself. herself. Lisa glanced back at the, out the window. Soon a young officer appeared at the corner of the street. The girl blushed and bent her head low over her canvas. His appearance of the officer had become a daily occurrence. The man was totally unknown to her. She was not accustomed to crocheting over his soldiers she saw on the street. She hardly knew how to explain his presence. His persistence finally roused in it an interest entirely strange in her. One day she even ventured to smile. Ponimara, for such he seemed to be. Reader needed, need hardly be told that the officer was no other than Herman. And Bobby Gemler, whose imagination had been strongly excited by the story, by Trotsky, the free, free magic cards. I thought Countess, old Countess would not reveal the secret to me. Why not try to win the goodwill, apparel of a sympathy? With this idea in mind, he took his daily station before the house, watching the pretty face at the window, and trusting to the fate to bring about the desired acquaintance. One day, as the rest of her was standing on the pavement, about to enter the carriage after Countess, she felt herself jostled. A note was thrust into her hand. Turning, to, she saw the young officer at her elbow, as quick as thought, she put the note in a glove and entered the carriage. On her return from the drive, he hastened to her chamber and read the missive in a state of excitement mingled with fear. It was a tender and respectful dedication of affection, copied word for word from a German novel. Of this fact, Lisa was, of course, ignorant. 
The young girl was much suppressed by the missive, but she felt that the writer must not be encouraged. She therefore wrote a few lines of explanation. The first opportunity dropped it, the letter out the window. The officer hastily crossed the street, picked up the papers and entered the shop to read them. In no wise daunted by his rebuff, he found the opportunity to send her another note in a few days. See no reply, but evidently understanding female heart persevered, begging for an interview. He was awarded by at last by the following. Tonight we go to the Bassett's Ball. It shall remain until two o'clock. I can arrange for a meeting in this way. After her departure, the servants will probably go out or go to sleep. At half past eleven, enter the vestibule boldly. If you see anyone, inquire for the Countess. If not, ascend the stairs. Turn the left and go on until you come to the door, which opens the bedchamber. Enter this room, and for the screen, you will find another door leading to another corridor. This borrow staircase leads to my sitting room. I suspect to find you there on my return. Herman trembled like a leaf. The appointment hour drew nearer. He obeyed instructions fully. As he met no one, he reached the old lady's bedchamber without difficulty. Instead of going out of the small door behind the screen, however, she sealed herself to a closet to await the return of the old countess. The hours dragged slowly by. At last he heard the sound of wheels. Immediately lamps were lighted and servants began moving. About finally a woman tottered into the room, completely exhausted. Her women removed her wraps and proceeded to get her in readiness for the f- night. Herman watched the proceedings with curiosity, but unmingled with suspicious fear. Suspicious fear. At last she was attired in cap and gown. The old woman looked less uncanny when she wrote her wore a dress, ball dress in a, a blue Bukokad. She sat down in an easy chair beside the table, as she was in the habit of doing before retiring. And a woman withdrew, and an old lady sat swaying to and fro, seemingly oblivious to her surroundings. Herman crept out of his hiding place. A sight noise, the old woman opened her eyes and gazed at the intruder with half dazed expression. Have no fear, I beg of you, said Herman. A calm voice, I have not come to harm you, but I ask the favour for you instead. Countess looked at him in silence, seemingly without comprehending him, how Herman thought she might be deaf, so he put his lips close to her. A repeated remark, the listener remained perfectly mute. You could make my fortune without it costing you anything, pleaded the young man. You tell me the three cards which are sure to win, and her pulls as the old woman over the lips as if to speak. It is only a jest, I swear to you. It was only a jest came from the withered lips. There was no dress, there was no jesting about it. Remember, Trusky, who thanks to you, was able to play his debts. Expression of inferior aggravation passed over the face of the old woman, then she relapsed into a former apathy. Will you tell me the names of the magic cards or not? asked Herman after pause. There was no reply. The old man then drew a pistol from his pocket, exclaiming, You old witch, I'll force you in to tell me. Sight the weapon the captain gave a second sign of life. 
She threw back her head and put out her hands as if to protect herself. Then he dropped, and she sat motionless. Herman grasped her arm roughly. About to renew his threats, he saw that she was dead. Seated in a room, still in a horrible breast, the finger gave herself up to reflections. She had expected to find a young officer there, but she felt relieved to see that he was not. Strange enough, the very night at the ball, Trotsky had rallied her, wrote about her preferences for the young officer, showing her he knew more than she supposed he did. To whom he's speaking? She had asked with an alarm, fearing her ventures had been discovered. A remarkable man, was the reply. His name is Herman. Lisa made no reply. It's Herman, continued Trotsky's romantic character. His profile of Napoleon, the heart of Mr. Fuseli's. He said he is at least three crimes on his conscience, but now, but how pale you are. It's only a slight headache. But why do you talk to me in this, Herman? Because I believe he has serious intentions concerning you. Where, where have you seen me? He's seen me. A church practice on the street. Conversation was erupted, interrupted at this point. To the great regret of the young girl. Wojciechowski made a deep impression upon her. She realised how impertinently she had acted. You're thinking of this and a great deal more when the door of the apartment suddenly opened. Herman stood before her. She drew back a sight of him. So she drew back a sight of him, trembling violently. Where have you been? she asked in a frightened whisper. In the bedroom, the countess, who she's dead, was a calm reply. My God, what are you saying? cried the girl. Furthermore, I believe I was the cause of the death. Words of Rusky flashed through Marisa's mind. Herman sat down and told her all. She listened with a feeling of terror and disgust. So those passionate letters, the oddest pursuit, were not the result of tenderness. Love is money that he desired. Poor girl felt she had in sense been accomplice to the death of a benefactress. She began to weep bitterly. Herman regarded her in silence. You are a monster, she exclaimed Lisa, drying her eyes. I didn't intend to kill her. The pistol was not even loaded. How are you going to go out of the house? inquired Lisa. It's nearly daylight. I intend to show you away the secret staircase while the Countess was asleep. So we would have to cross her chamber. Now I'm afraid to do so. Direct me. I'll find a way of alone, replied Herman. She gave him a minute, minute instructions, a key which to open the street door. The young man pressed the cold, inert hand. Then they went out. The death of the Countess had surprised no one. It had been long been expected. The funeral was attended by everyone of note in the vicinity. Herman mingled a year throng without attracting a special attention. After all his friends had taken their last look, death face, the young man approached her. He prostrated himself on the cold floor and made motionless for a long time. He rose at last with a face almost as pale as that the corpse itself went up the steps to look into the casket. He looked down, it seemed to him, a rigid face had turned his glance, mockingly, closing one eye. He turned abruptly, made way, made a full step, and fell to the floor. He picked up, at the same moment Lizifa was carried out in a faint. Herman had not did not recover his usual composure. During the entire day, 
He dined alone on an out-of-the-way restaurant, drank a great deal, the hope of stifling, stifling emotion, wine only served to simulate his imagination. He turned home, drew himself, threw himself down on his bed without undressing. During night he woke with a start, the moan shone his chamber, making everything pearl, plainly visible. Someone looked in the mirror window, then quickly disappeared to pay no attention to this. He paid no attention to this, but soon he heard a visible door open. He thought it was his orderly, returning late, drunk as usual. The step was a familiar one, and he heard a shuffling sound of loose slippers. The door of his room opened. A woman in white entered. She came close to the bed. A telephone man, man recognised the countess. I have come to you against my will, she said abruptly, but I have was commanded to grant you a request. The tray seven and ace in succession on the magic cards. Twenty-four hours must have collapsed. Eclipse between the use of each card. After three have been used, you must never play again. Phantom then turned and walked away. Herman heard the outside door close. Again, she saw the form pass the window. He rose and went out to the hall. Into the hall, where he's already lay asleep. On the floor, the door was open. Finding no trace of a visitor, he returned to his room, lit his candle, wrote down what he had just heard. Two fixed-hand ears cannot exist in the brain. At the same time, any more than two bodies cannot occupy the same point in space. A tray seven and eight soon chased away the faults of dead woman. All other faults from the brain. The young officer. All these ideas merged into a single one. How to turn to advantage the secret paid for for Sardili. He even thought we were resigning his commission and going to Paris to false a fortune for the, from conquered fate. Chance rescued him from his embarrassment. Trusting a man had passed his whole life at cards, opened a club at St. Petersburg. His long experience had secured him the confidence of his companions, saw stupidity and genial humour consolidated society. The guided youth flocked around him, neglecting society, preferring the charms of Rego or their sweethearts. Rescue invited Herman to occupy him to the club. The young man accepted the invitation only too willingly. Two officers found the apartments full. Generals and statesmen played whilst young men lounged on sofas, eating ices or smoking. The principal saloon stood a long table at which twenty men playing Fargo, the host of the establishment, being the banker. He's a man of about sixty, grey-haired, respectable. His ruddy face shone with green or humour. His eyes sparkled. A constant smile hovered around his lips. Novosky presented Herman. The host gave him a cornwall handshake, begged him not to stand upon salary, and returned. She's dealing. More than thirty cards were already on the table. Trotsky pulls with one each coop to allow the punters time to recognise their gains. Losses politely, answering all questions and consistently smiling. After the deal was over, the cards were shuffled. The game began again. Permit me to choose a card, said Herman. Herman stretching out his hand over the head of the portly gentleman to reach a deliverer. A banker 
bowed without replying. However, chose a card and wrote the amount of his stake upon it. A piece of chalk. How much is that? asked the banker. Excuse me, but I do not see it well. Forty thousand roubles, said Herman coolly. Or wisely, as he turned upon the speaker. He's lost his wits. He's lost his wits, thought Noreski. Allow me to observe, said Noreski. Eternal smile. That your stake is excessive. What of it? replied Herman, nettled. Do you accept it or not? A banker nodded in assessment. I only was to remind you that the cash would be necessary, of course. Your word is good, but in order to keep your confidence with my patrons, I prefer ready money. Berman took a banknote from his pocket, handed it to his toast, and let it examine it attentively, and laid it on the card chosen, again dealing to the right, a nine to the left, a tray. A tray wins, said Herman, showing the card he had held, a tray. A murmur ran through his crowd, to us he frowned for a second only, then his smile returned, he took a roll of bank bills, from his pocket and counted that required sum. Home received it and once left the table. Next evening, saw him at this place again. Each one eyed him concurrently. Tversky greeted him cordially. He selected his card and placed upon his fresh stake and a banker began dealing to the right, a nine to a seven, to the left a seven. Herman then showed his card a seven spot. The onlookers exclaimed, the host had been Visibly disturbed, he counted it with ninety-four thousand rubies and passed them to Herman, who accepted them without showing the least surprise, and once withdrew. The following evening, he went again, perhaps was in a signal of cessation of all, of all occupation, everyone being eager to watch the developments of the events, he selected his cards of the, on ace, and did him again, to the right, a queen, to the left, an ace. The Queen wins, remarked, remarked Herman, turning up the card without glancing at it. Your Queen is killed, remarked Tresky quietly. Herman trembled, looking down. He saw, not the ace he had selected, the Queen of Spades. He could scarcely believe his eyes. It seemed impossible he could have made such a mistake. He stared at the card. Seemed to him, the Queen winked one eye at him mockingly. The old woman exclaimed involuntarily. The croupier raked in the money while he looked on it in stupid terror. We left the table all made for him to to pass. Cars were shuffled and gambling went on. Herman became a lunatic. He was confined at the hospital in Lutifer. He spoke to no one but constantly murmuring a monotonous tone. A tray, seven ace, a tray, seven. Queen.